The Reformation was marked by men like Martin Luther and Zwingli. The movement grew so quickly that countries controlled by the Catholic Church were suddenly controlled by the Protestant Church. But one group was even more radical than the Reformers. They believed the Church should be completely separate from the state. These Reformers were seen as radicals and deemed dangerous to the national security of the nation. Who were these radicals? What made them a threat to national security? And what were their teachings biblically? Today, we're talking about the Anabaptists. No, I did not say the anti-Baptists, the Anabaptists. For the last couple weeks, we have been talking about the Reformation. We have talked about the life of Martin Luther, Zwingli, and the Church of England. But today, we're talking about another group that came out of the Reformation. From the time of the Old Testament, at the moment of your birth, you were part of a religion. A Jewish child was a Jew from birth. But this was also true of the pagans. The church was something new. You were not born into the church. You had to choose to be part of the church. The church was not based on your birth your race, your parents' ideology, your country, your language. The church was based on your personal beliefs and confession that Jesus is Lord. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. For with your heart you believe and with your mouth you confess. This began to change around the time of Constantine now, we talked about this earlier in our series. You might want to go back and check out some of those past episodes. Constantine made Christianity the state religion, and that started the slippery slope of erasing the thing that made Christianity different than every other religion. This change stole from the church, the very thing that set the church apart. The idea that every person, male, female, slave, free, every person, no matter your color, country of birth, language, intellect, social status, every person could be part of the church and equal in God's eyes. Along came Islam. Islam also became a religion you were born into. And soon there were Islamic nations and Christian nations and they went to war. During the Reformation, there was Islamic nations, Catholic nations, Protestant nations, and they were all at war with each other. One group of believers believed nations should not be any religion. They believed that true Christians had to choose freely with no fear and no obligation to be followers of Jesus. The Protestants believed a nation should be Christian. Everyone should be forced to be Christian, and in the afterlife, God would separate the true Christians from the fake ones. The very foundation of this argument was the argument around baptism. When a child was born, they were taken to the church for baptism. This was true of the Catholics and the Protestant. Their names were then recorded and that was the essential part. 
This list of names was used for taxes and enlisting soldiers for the wars. If people could choose for themselves if they were going to be baptized and if they waited until adulthood, then how would the government tax people? How would they force men to fight wars for them? How would they even know who was living in their country? This idea seemed so radical that anyone holding this idea was seen as a national security risk. Last week, we talked about Zwingli. While Zwingli was preaching and Reformation was spreading, he worked alongside two men, Conrad Gabriel and Felix Mons. At first, Zwingli agreed with Conrad and Felix. There was no mention of infant baptism with Jesus or the apostles or any of the early church followers. However, Zwingli loved his country and his dream was for a strong Protestant country. So he could not bring himself to end infant baptism. In the end, Zwingli said infant baptism was the church version of circumcision from the Old Testament. During this time, Muslim countries, the Turks, were attacking towns. The military would find the cities burned, women and men hanging on crosses, bodies everywhere. They needed more soldiers and they saw the Anabaptists, the rebels, as a threat to their armies. Felix was captured and tried. He was found guilty and killed. Zwingli did nothing to help the man who had been his friend. During this time, a man named Michael Sadler was a monk. He was forced to travel small town to small town and demand taxes. As the Turks continued to attack, the taxes would keep rising because they needed the money to pay for the military. When the families could not pay the tax, he would take their animals, leaving them with nothing. People were starving. One day, a little baby starved to death. Michael's friend and nun named Margareta tried to help the woman save her baby. When she confronted Michael the next day, he said there was nothing he could do. That was a breaking point for Michael. He realized what he was doing was wrong. He stopped being a monk and married Margareta. They found a small church and went to hear what was being said. This group was calling for a violent overthrow of the state. They wanted the church separate from the state, but believed the only way to do that was to fight. Michael and Margareta disagreed with this. They said, if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. The group did attack and fight, and they were brutally killed. Michael and Margareta began to travel, and Michael preached. They met in barns, caves, and forests and he put together this list of what they believed. First, concerning baptism, only people who were able to demand baptism for themselves and who had already chosen to follow Jesus personally could be baptized. Second, on the ban or the excommunication, we are agreed as follows. The ban will be employed with all those who have given themselves to the Lord to walk in his commandments and with all those who are baptized into one body of Christ and who are called brothers and sisters, and yet slip sometimes and fall into error or sin, being inadvertently overtaken. The same shall be admonished twice in secret, 
and the third time openly disciplined or banned according to the command of Christ in Matthew 18. But this shall be done in according to the regulations of the Spirit, as in Matthew 5, before the breaking of bread, so that we may break and eat one bread with one mind in one love and may drink with one cup. Third, communion. Only baptized believers could take communion, and it was in remembrance of Jesus' death and resurrection and was not the literal body and blood of Jesus. Fourth, on separation of the saved. The church was supposed to be separate from the world. That meant not being part of the class system. There were two classes only, evil and good. The government was Babylon, and the church should have no part in it. Fifth, on pastors in the church of God. I'm going to read this part in its entirely word for word because I found this one very interesting and insightful. The pastor in the church of God shall, as Paul has prescribed, be one who out and out has a good report of those who are outside of the faith. This office shall be to read, to admonish, to teach, to warn, to discipline, to ban in the church, to lead out in prayer for the advancement of the brothers and sisters, to lift up the bread when it is broken, and in all things to see to the care of the body of Christ, in order that it may be built up and developed, and the mouth of the slanderer be stopped. This one, moreover, shall be supported of the church which has chosen him, wherein he may be in need, so that he serves the gospel and may live the gospel of the Lord has ordained. But if a pastor should do something requiring discipline, he shall not be dealt with except in the testimony of two or three witnesses. And when they sin, they shall be disciplined before all, in order that the others may fear. But should it happen that through the cross this pastor should be banished, or led to the Lord through martyrdom, another should be ordained in his place on the same hour, so that God's little flock and people will not be destroyed. I find that part very interesting. 6. Concerning the sword. Now in this article, they talk about the church not serving in the government. They were not allowed to take up the sword, even to defend themselves, and they were not allowed to participate in any wars. 7. Concerning the oath. They would not take any oath, and they would just say, let my yes be yes, and my no be no. Michael and Margareta's ideas were controversial in every way. The Protestant and Catholic churches both hated them. The state hated them. And even many Anabaptists disagreed with them. There were many who wished to overthrow the government by force. And the idea that they could never use a sword even to defend themselves seemed to put them in a hopeless situation. Then one day at a meeting while Michael was preaching, the authorities came and arrested them as well as every other man in the church. They tried to convince Michael to recant everything. One thing they did was to bring him to a torture chamber where one of his friends was being tortured, but he refused to recant anything. They tried him and found him guilty. Then they came to the prison of Margareta and offered her full pardon if she would only say the teachings were Michael's and not hers. She refused. Margareta knelt on the floor of her prison under the small window. She could hear the crowd and knew Michael was being taken to be killed. She could hear the screams as he was whipped. She cried and prayed for God to give him strength. 
she could hear the crowd cheer as a torturer took hot thongs and burned the tongue off of Michael. And then she could not hear his screams, but she could hear the fire as it was lit and sound of the wooden beam Michael was tied to being thrown into the fire. A few days later, Margareta was with Michael in heaven. She was found guilty and drowned in the river. During all of this, the Protestant church was silent. And for the most part, they controlled the government. So we could even say they were responsible for the killing. But the Anabaptists did not stop. The movement only grew. The death of Margareta and Michael lit a flame. Many other Protestants agreed that it was time the church divorce the state for good and be separate. There were at this time two fractions of Anabaptists. One believed in no war, no fighting back, no government involvement whatsoever. And the other group was, well, insane. And the insane group met its end in a brutal finale. In our next episode, we're going to talk about this fraction of the Anabaptist movement. We're going to do two more episodes about the Anabaptists before we move on. Next week, the worst pastor in the history of the church. And the week after that, we'll look at a man named Menno Simons. Before we end today, I wanted to share some of my personal thoughts about this part of history. It's natural to always see a story and look for a villain and a victim. We not only see history this way, we also see the world around us this way. Right now, our world is so polarized and people want to know what you believe before they will even hear what you have to say. But what I have learned is that when we look at both sides of any situation, we can see how we might be easily swayed to that side if we only had the information they had and no other information. The Anabaptists were willing to die for what they believed in. They knew that being baptized meant they would die and they did it anyway. They knew that not baptizing their children put their children's lives at risk. It made their children non-citizens of any country. The children didn't have that choice. The parents made it for them. The children who grew up in this church were not taxed or made to go to war, good, but they also didn't belong to any country. The Anabaptists didn't believe in defending their country. They didn't believe in serving in government. They didn't believe that they should hold any allegiance to any country. The reformers saw this as a threat to national security. That seems silly to us now because now we would never use the church baptism records as a way of citizenship or to tax people or draft people. But at the time, that's what was being used. And for the reformers, the beliefs that Anabaptists held seemed like treason. The reformers were angry. They thought the Anabaptists were going to destroy their country. The Turks were invading cities. And if everyone thought as the Anabaptists did, no one would fight back and the Turks would rule the world. The Anabaptists could only hold their beliefs because other people were willing to fight the Turks. But if this idea spread and there was no army or no taxes, what would happen to the country then? I understand how the reformers feel. It's 
how I feel when I talk to a Marxist or worse, pastors who are Marxist. The anger in me is real. I also understand and agree with the Anabaptists that the government should have no say in the church. I believe strongly in limited government and I do not like the current situation where the government is telling us we can't have church. Or if we do have church, we have to limit the number of people or we can't sing or have communion or interesting enough as it relates to today's episode, baptize people. Both people believed what they were doing right. And today, both sides believe what they are doing is right. In the Bible, in Joshua 5.13, we read, Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. I have now come as a commander of the Lord's army. Then Joshua fell face down in reverence and asked him, What does my Lord have to say to his servant? You see, Joshua saw a man and asked, Are you with us or them? And the man said, No. You see, the question is not, Is God on our side or their side? The question is, Are we on God's side? The thing about this part of history that's so sad is that the martyrs of the faith were killed by people who would eventually become martyrs of the faith. The reason for the church was forgotten and it became a question of who was right or who was wrong. And I believe we are at a cross point right now, politically, culturally, and as a church. We even talk about my tribe. And as Christians, the question we have to ask is, what is God's side? To know we are in the right place, we have to know God deeply and personally. We can't allow the culture, we can't allow fear to control us. We need to do the same thing when we look at history. It's easy to tell a history story and make one person, one group, or one race as the villain. But a deeper, more mature way to look at history is to really understand why people did what they did, even the most horrendous people. We have to understand the why, because once we allow ourselves to ask that question, then we can learn from their mistakes. We can make sure we don't repeat the mistake. Talking about making a huge mistake. Wait until you hear next week's story. Here's a sneak preview. During World War II, bombs were dropped in Germany. One of those bombs hit near an old church and two iron cages that were hanging in the church towers crashed to the ground. In the iron cages were bones, the bones of a man so evil. The people of the city had left the cages in the tower where the man had been killed. Those bones had been there for hundreds of years. The city had to decide what to do. Was it time to let the memory of this man rest? Should they simply just destroy the cages? But the town voted to fix the tower and put the cages back in the tower. The city believed this vile man should never be forgotten. So, just to be clear, while Hitler was in power, these people in Germany believed they needed to remember the horror of this other man who they had whom the city had once followed to make sure they didn't make the same mistake again. Honestly, they didn't see the irony in that at all. 
Who was this man? Well, he was a preacher. And next week, we're going to talk about him. So make sure you subscribe so that you won't miss next week's episode. And remember, for more podcasts, videos, and blogs, you can go to lauraleesiemens.com. I'll see you next week.